Welcome to the Shoreline Community Church Podcast, a community of love, acceptance, forgiveness, and belonging. For more information, be sure to check us out online at shorelinecc.com. Welcome to week six of our series, Give It Away. And today is the, uh, it's the last week of the series, and it's hard to believe we're in February already, but uh, this has been a great series for me as I've just been going through and walking through. And by way of review, as we dive into this series finale, I thought it'd be great to just kind of review uh, what we know to be true, because this is the basis of what we've been talking about. So here's what we know to be true. First of all, everything has been made by God. And not only that, the Bible says that everything has been made for God. Paul said this in Colossians 1. He said, for through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. We also know that, unfortunately, everyone has rejected God. That includes me. Romans 8.23 says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And, so, and by sin, that's always, always worth uh, defining. Sin is the rejection of God. Whether I'm attacking or ignoring God, uh, the fact remains that I have no relationship with God and that I'm living out of alignment. So sin, as the Bible describes it, is the refusal to follow, to be aligned with God. So everything's been made by God. Everything's been made for God. Everyone has rejected God. But here's the good news. The good news is that everyone has an opportunity to be reconciled to God. John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And I love this in 17 when it says, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. And this reconciliation, which gets us to the topic of today, this reconciliation, it takes place through this transfer of power, of us laying down our life, our power, our authority to take on Jesus Christ. And this is our text that we've been studying now for six weeks. Matthew 16, where Jesus says, If any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, or in other words, deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? The great rhetorical question, of course, no. Nothing is worth more than your soul. So in other words, we give it away to God. And we do this because the work of God only occurs through the power of God in us. We only receive his power as we give it away. I mean, think about it. Almighty God, maker of the universe and all that we see, he invites us to be reconciled to him and to be filled with his spirit. This is incredibly powerful to say the least. 
But we need to recognize that this is not a sharing of power. This is not a consulting relationship where God gives me some ideas and some things to consider and suggestions of how I, I, how I would live my life. No, this, this is not the relationship that we're talking about. You know, the prophet Isaiah, he says this beautifully, uh, trying to give us perspective of how great God is in Isaiah 40. I'm just going to read part of it, but boy, I encourage you to read the whole thing. But Isaiah says, starting verse 13, he says, Who is able to advise the Spirit of the Lord? Who knows enough to give him advice or teach him? Haven't you heard? Don't you understand? Um, are you deaf to the words of God, the words he gave before the world began? Are you so ignorant? God sits above the circle of the earth. The people below him seem like grasshoppers to him. To whom will you compare me? Who is my equal? Ask the Holy One. See, this is the God who made us and the God who loves us. And even though we've rejected him, ignored him, uh, tried to do it on our own, God is a God of grace. I love where it says that Jesus came in grace and truth, that grace that sets us free. And he continues to be gracious to us and reveals himself to us and invites us to return to him. But this is only possible as we give away our lives in exchange for the life that God has for us. In other words, it's a return to the original design that God has for all of us. What an amazing opportunity. And this is what this whole series has been about. It's been about God's invitation to us to give away our lives in order to gain this unimaginable life with him. Uh, it's a life that's beyond words. It's a love that can only be experienced and a life filled with the power of God in us to do the work in our lives and the world around us. See, Jesus spent his earthly ministry when he came here in the form of a human, uh, positioning his disciples to receive his power through the daily practice of giving it away. And he did this because this doesn't come naturally to us. There's, there's this battle in our lives to resist, to retain the power and authority over our lives. We, we want to be our own gods. But these are the lessons that Jesus taught his disciples. And they're the lessons that we've been focusing on of giving it away through prayer, giving it away through fasting, giving it away through sharing our faith and learning more in that process as we do that. Uh, giving it away through the church, the body of Christ, gathering together uh, as, as the family of God. And lastly, we talked about giving it away through generosity. We serve a generous God. So we walk in his ways and giving it away by living that generous life that he's called us to. And so today, I want to focus on just one more thing, the last thing in this series. And it's also it's, it's the last thing that Jesus talked to his disciples about. But, and it's the first thing that someone says to you, and the last thing that someone says to you that's very important. You know, if someone's saying, before I go, I want to tell you one more thing. And these are the words, very important, because the first thing that Jesus said was, follow me. When he went out meeting his disciples saying, drop your nets, follow me. But this is the last thing that Jesus said, and it's recorded in Acts chapter 1, starting in verse 4. Once, when he was eating with them, this is Jesus, he commanded them, do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised. As I told you before, John baptized with water, but in just a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? 
He replied, the Father alone has the authority to set those dates and times, and they are not for you to know. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, through Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. After saying this, he was taken up into a cloud while they were watching, and they could no longer see him. And as they strained to see him rising into heaven, two white-robed men suddenly stood among them. Men of Galilee, they said, why are you standing here staring into heaven? In other words, get on with it. Get on with following Jesus. Get on with doing what he's told you. See, when the disciples were with Jesus, they saw and experienced firsthand the power of Jesus. Everyone experienced what Jesus did. But what they were experiencing now was something different. Now that Jesus' physical body was leaving them, ascending into heaven as they even strained, uh, they were straining because they were nervous. They were scared. It's almost like, what will we do now? You know, Jesus was in this process. He was moving them to the next step in their training and releasing them for the work of ministry. But the disciples, I think like many of us, uh, they didn't feel like they were ready. They'd become so dependent on the physical bodily presence of Jesus, you know, seeing him, laughing with him, uh, eating with him, and even being held by Jesus. And when they would hit problems, they, they would just run back to him when things didn't go as planned. But now Jesus is sending them out. He's deploying them. He's commissioning them, and he's sending them locally and globally to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. This is what we refer to as the Great Commission. And the response is essentially, we can't do it without you, Jesus. And they're right. There's nothing that we can do without Jesus. So he tells them to go and wait. And wait is a key word. And he tells them to wait for an empowerment that they have not yet received. And it's an empowerment that comes from the Holy Spirit. See, Jesus, he was moving his ministry from the 12 disciples to a ministry that would, that would spread globally. And this meant that the disciples had to change how they were operating. See, to this point, when they didn't know what to do or when they hit a wall or when they're being attacked, the response was, let's go find Jesus. He'll know what to do. He'll defend us. He'll fix it. Jesus will take care of it. We just need to go and find him. And Jesus was moving them now from this physical dependence to spiritual empowerment. Now, don't get me wrong. What we do with our body is important. 1 Corinthians 6 says, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God with your bodies. In other words, the Lord lives in us. He's with us. So we need to take care of our body. It's important what we do. That's very important. But our focus is not just on the physical. Our focus is on our soul. Because after all, our soul, that's the part of us that lasts forever. Listen to Paul's warning on, 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 on focusing on of, uh, the importance of focusing on the spirit instead of the flesh. In Romans chapter 8, Paul says, Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death. 
But the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the spirit. If indeed the spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his Spirit who lives in you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it is not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. This is why Jesus says, wait. Wait for the empowerment of the Holy Spirit as you get ready to deploy and to do the Great Commission. Wait for the Spirit. See, this move from the the disciples being physically dependent uh, to being spiritually empowered is so important that Jesus even said in John 16, he said, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper, the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. Jesus is saying to them now, I am not just walking beside you, but I am alive within you. See, the power of the gospel is not that Jesus is part of our lives. The power of the gospel is that Jesus is our life. I love what theologian J.I. Packer says. He says, the Christian's life in all its aspects, intellectual and ethical, devotional, relational, Upsurging in worship and outgoing in witness is supernatural. Only the Spirit can initiate and sustain it. So, what did Jesus mean when he said, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come up on you? What did this mean? Well, what he meant is that when we surrender our lives to Christ, first of all, we are filled with the Spirit. He's talking to the disciples, and as he's talking about this, they recognize already that when they received Jesus, that they received the Holy Spirit because Jesus said in John 20, 22, uh, he said, receive the Spirit. See, we are saved. We are fully adopted children of God. Jesus wasn't telling the disciples and waiting for the empowerment that you got one more thing to do in order to be saved. No, that's not what he's saying. He's saying that when you give your life to Christ, the Spirit of God in that moment is within you. Hallelujah. But what Jesus was telling his disciples is that when we give our lives away to Jesus, we're filled with the presence. This means that we're filled with all the love of God, love for him, and a love for uh, our neighbors around us. Remember that, uh, that Jesus said the most important commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and that the second is equal to it in loving your neighbors. So when we surrender, we love the Lord, we love our neighbors, and as a result, now, we are on mission, his mission, to share the love of Christ with the world. But doing this mission, it requires extra power. Because as we go doing his mission, we'll find that some will joyfully receive Christ. Uh, we'll find that some will simply reject Christ and they'll walk away. But the Bible is also clear that as we engage in the mission with the Lord, that there are some who will hate us. There are some who will even attack us for following Christ and even just simply living for the Lord. It says this in 1 Peter 4, 12, when it says, Do not be surprised at the fiery trial 
when it comes up on you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. Verse 13 says, but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed. The spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. So in other words, Jesus is saying, you're going to need extra power to do this because I don't know about you, but I can't think of very many times when I've been attacked and persecuted and I've went, oh, glory to God. This is great. <laughs> this is strengthening me. It's the attitude I should have. But this is something that we need extra power because as we go out, we're going to be attacked. There are things, there are times that we're going to need to be comforted when we're hurt. We're going to need discernment when we face situations that we don't know what to do. And we're going to need assurance when there are things that may kind of pick away at us and cause us to have doubts. This is the role of the Holy Spirit in our lives. So what did this empowerment look like? Well, this empowerment that Jesus told them to wait for is recorded in the very next chapter, Acts chapter 2. Starting in verse 2, it says, Suddenly a sound like a blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest upon each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. When this happened, there was no doubt in their minds that they had received the empowerment of the Holy Spirit that Jesus told them to wait for. And there was no doubt that those who knew them, as they began to walk forth, they knew there was something different about these disciples who were walking with Jesus. You know, Chuck, uh, Charles uh, Swindoll says it uh, so eloquently, where he says, Before the coming of the Holy Spirit, the disciples faltered. Upon his arrest, they fled. During the crucifixion, most hid. Before his resurrection, they doubted. Only after receiving the Holy Spirit did they act decisively and speak boldly. You know, even the apostle Peter, of whom Jesus said, Upon this rock, Peter, I will build my church. He famously denied Jesus three times on the very night that he was crucified. But after being empowered with the Holy Spirit, the disciple who was running and hiding and denying Jesus, he now boldly got up under the power of the Holy Spirit, boldly preached, and over 3,000 people were saved and baptized. See, we need boldness, but we need a boldness that is directed and empowered by God, not just us and not our pride. See, boldness without God is prideful and foolish, and Proverbs says that this kind of pride, it leads to destruction. We need boldness that is accompanied by humility, directed and blessed by God. So, how do we receive? How do we receive this great gift? Well, it's not through intellect. This was the struggle that uh, the, the great Pharisee and scholar Nicodemus had when he approached Jesus in John chapter 3. And it can't be bought. Simon the sorcerer, after seeing the apostles preach and lay hands on people and seeing them be filled with the Spirit, he tried to buy it because in that day, money bought power. And of course, he was quickly rebuked. How we receive this gift? It's in one word that Jesus gave us. And it's in the word wait. Now, wait is tough for us, especially for us here in Seattle where we can get something on Amazon within the same day, within a couple hours. 
If we have to wait three days, oh my, we move on to the next thing. We're not good at waiting. But I want you to pay attention to this word that Jesus uses on waiting because waiting is not passive. It's not just folding our arms and sitting down and saying, okay, I'm ready, God. When the Bible talks about wait, it uses the word hope. Wait means to trust. See, to wait is to completely lean your entire weight on something where you're completely depending on it. You're putting aside your plans. You're putting aside your schedule. You're putting aside everything. It sounds like denying yourself that Jesus talked about. It is such a hunger for God and his mission that requires his power that you are willing to give it all away, to lay down your own power, to deny yourself in order to be filled with the power of God. It's the waiting that the prophet Isaiah spoke about in Isaiah 40 when he said, Those who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not grow weary. They shall walk and not faint. This is the instruction of Jesus. To seek the infilling and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, we need to wait. Put our hope in, trust, lay everything down in that process. And there was something significant that happened while the disciples were being baptized in the Holy Spirit that the, that the Bible uh, often references. Acts chapter 2, verse 4, it says, All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. This initial physical evidence of speaking in tongues uh, is cited several times throughout Scripture when people were filled with the Holy Spirit. Specifically, we see it in Acts 2, Acts 10, and Acts 19. And when the Apostle Paul was filled with the Spirit, he spoke in tongues. Now, the Bible doesn't directly record that Paul spoke in tongues in that moment, but later when the Apostle Paul is reflecting on it in 1 Corinthians 14, he says, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. See, in most of these occurrences, when the Bible is talking about speaking in tongues, it's talking about an unknown language. And I've heard many refer to this as a heavenly language. In 1 Corinthians 14.2, Paul describes this as speaking to God, that you are uttering mysteries in the Spirit. See, there's, there's power in what we say. I think we all know how powerful the tongue is. In James 3, it says, The tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a force to set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature, can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. And, and the author goes on to say that that shouldn't be a part of you. I mean, think about how much harm has been done in the world by what people have said or written. That's why it's been said the pen is mightier than the sword. So many lives have been ruined. So many families torn apart. And with this in mind, it makes sense that though there are many physical evidences of this empowerment of the Holy Spirit in our lives, that the first initial physical evidence that we see recorded in Scripture is this gift of tongues. 
In other words, it's this act of controlling our tongue. Now, I know for some people, uh, they readily embrace it and they see it. They see this gift of God. But for some others, it can be very difficult. And for me, that was my story growing up. You know, I grew up in a wonderful town, wonderful community, wonderful church. But as we related to this gift of tongues, unfortunately, some of the people that I knew, though some were wonderful, godly, righteous, encouraging people, but there were some examples that I saw who they, were, they, they would be coercive or they would try to force this. And I would often see that they themselves had a tongue that was out of control, often hurting me and other family members. So as a kid growing up, though I love the Lord and I love my pastors, this was something I just pushed back and said, no, thank you, not for me. And it wasn't until this wonderful pastor, this youth evangelist, uh, came and spoke at our youth camp one summer. And ironically, our band, our Christian rock band, that our name was actually called Dunamis, which is the Greek word for power in Acts 1.8. So the Lord has a sense of humor. That in this process, we spent the week uh, playing and providing worship for him. But the last night, there was a different group leading the altar call. And the pastor just gave an invitation. Who would like to receive this empowerment that the Lord has to support us from the Holy Spirit? In that moment, I sat back, I bowed my head and said, Lord, <laughs> I'm not walking up there. That's when a friend turned towards me and said, I said, Dwayne, have you been filled with the Spirit? Have you been empowered with the Holy Spirit? And I said, no. He said, do you want to go up? I said, no. He said, why? And I explained to him. And he said, Dwayne, if the Lord has a gift for you, would you like to have it? Do you think the Lord's going to force you or... Do you think it's going to be anything that would harm you? Perhaps tonight is your night. So willingly or a little bit of unwillingness, I, I walked, up, walked up to the altar, and I got right before this wonderful, wonderful evangelist. And he looked at me, and he, he could tell. And without any coercion, without any drama, he said, Dwayne, do you want to receive? I said, yes. Yes, I do. And in that moment, I was filled and empowered with the gift of the Holy Spirit. And there's so much more that I could say there. But I can tell you that from that point on, my life changed. I began to walk with the Lord more closely. I began to seek his voice. I began to hear the Lord. Now, was I perfect? I was still a teenager walking through life. But that was a marked moment in my life. And my encouragement to you today is that as you look and as you process this through, if this is something that seems strange to you or something that you've, has even made you push back, don't let any bad examples keep you away from Jesus, the example and the gift of the Holy Spirit that he would pour into your life. So the response today is just one question. Would you like to receive this gift of empowerment from the Holy Spirit? If you would, I'd love to pray for you right now. And for me, when I pray, I often just hold my palms up as just a sign, as a physical sign of just saying, Lord, I surrender everything to you. So, Father, we thank you. We thank you for the gift of life that you've given to us. And we thank you for the empowerment of the Holy Spirit because we can't do it on our own. We need you. So, Lord, in this moment, Lord, I, I surrender once again everything. And Lord, I pray for that person watching today and praying, God, that, that you would reveal to them that, that power that comes as we deny ourselves and follow you, as we lay aside everything. And Lord, you've called us to be on mission with you. And it's a mission that can only be done by and through you in our lives. 
So we open our lives to the power of the Holy Spirit. And we pray, come Spirit, fill me, empower me, strengthen me. I give you control of everything. Take my tongue, take my mind, take every part and use it. Speak through me, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let me encourage you to keep walking in that way. Keep seeking the Lord. Keep seeking the Lord. He's not coercive. He forces no one. Be filled. Be empowered. And let me also encourage you that if you have received the empowerment of the Holy Spirit today or in the days to come, please reach out and let us know. We'd love to celebrate. We'd love to encourage you. We'd love to walk with you together in mission with Jesus. Amen. Hey, everyone, thanks again for joining us as we concluded our series on giving it away. And again, be sure to tell the story. The Bible says that we overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. Our testimony encourages each other. So tell your story, go to your friends, go to your family, uh, and share it with us. We'd love to hear from you. You can just email us at info at shorelinecc.com, or you can post a comment here, whether you're watching on YouTube or on Facebook. I'm so excited about this next season. Let's continue to walk in the way of the Lord, giving our life away, empowered by the Holy Spirit, so the world would know there's a God who loves them. This is our benediction. Let's say this together. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Now go and live for Jesus. We love you all so very much. God bless you all.